0: How do you feel about the upcoming season of Radio Flom? I don't know much about it, but I'm definitely interested in checking out the uh, quality of the uh, entertainment that is available on it.
1: Takes place between midnight and 1 a.m. on the day of the California presidential primary. Events occur in real time. Oh,
2: sure. All right, sir. Four o'clock. Yeah. Goodbye.
1: Uh, Here's a report right here. Gardener by the name of Eric Kelby called in day before yesterday. NASA has been working with Navy on a new short-range underwater missile. Uh, Walsh and I went out yesterday to interview the guy. How did this very Kelby impress you? Pretty with Walsh and me. No cooperation. And we've been making arrangements with officials at this embassy for the use of their territorial waters for laying underwater cables and other things connected with the test line. Magnus Trumbull Kelby, age 39. Delaney was the secretary of one of the men we're working with.
3: Oh, Mr. Maddox, this gentleman has been waiting for you.
4: Jack!
5: I came as soon as I heard. I'm gonna need detailed backgrounds on everybody working for Sanders, Bloomberg, Warren, I want all of you. I remember Eric Kelby from Nam. He would have swallowed a towel all the way down, make this burping noise and spit it back up. Yeah, it would have looked like Ronald Reagan and Stephen Allen, but what of it? If you can't be trusted to not use the nerve gas, if this doesn't go as planned, we'll just have to add this to our list of really bad ideas. Any idea of what they're up to? Who they're working for? Human resources should be able to answer that. I'll meet you downtown. Well, Navy's ready.
1: They'll wait for word from you.
6: Are you all right?
1: I think maybe I'm constipated. Carter's Little Bills, the laxative that helps relieve temporary irregularity. The Dairyland Fountain and Coffee Shop. We arrived there at 345. More?
6: Yeah, thanks. Want more coffee?
1: No, thanks.
5: Jack, if we're gonna do this for 24 hours, we're gonna need a lot more coffee than you've ever had before. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe I'm afraid. But I think this is the best way to sum things up. Coffee, donuts, and those cute little pink things on top. Now the nerve gas is activated and everybody else is gonna die while I'm over here on B Street trying to learn how to park backwards. You think Jack Bauer is funny? Explain that to me. And now everyone is gonna die just before the 10 o'clock
1: news. Five
3: minutes past 12
7: midnight.
8: I get back from
4: Sacramento. Anyway, here's Howard Shore, and his all-be-banned. Oh, all the band. All right, now are you ready? Let me hear you say, "Yeah." I'm George W. Bush, and I approve this message from Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world. Genuine modern radio. Radio Flom.
9: interfering in the 2020 election by casting my ballot.
4: You will find streets, but no pavements, for the inhabitants walk along the walls of the houses, while in the houses you will see no windows, for each house just fits its owner, and the door is the only opening in it. Though made without hands, these houses are most evenly and regularly built in tiers one above the other. And there are a few royal palaces, larger and more spacious than the rest. Catch the eye conspicuously as they stand out in the corners of the streets. Arabella B. Buckley, The Fairyland of Science, 1878
10: You're listening to Radio Fun. Hello star children. This song was written just for you. This one's called Star Child. and fly Star children, this is the high priest of the cult of Dionysus, Orion. It's nice to talk to you today.
11: I'm overwhelmed because you're one of my favorite bands. And mostly just because your energy is amazing. Thank you. So like, where does, where's that energy, that positivity come from?
10: I think that uh, when uh, Linda and I started the band many moons ago, um, we had a commitment to like make a an experience that was totally joyful from start to finish we came up in the new york music scene in the 90s and and the aughts i guess you will and it's new york city cannot it sometimes is not the the friendliest place or like the music has like a harder edge to it sometimes and we just wanted to throw a party that everyone would leave totally high without ever having taken a drug. And so we wrote, started writing music with that goal in mind. Like every song needs to be a party. And that's how we started writing together. And uh, that's that's the philosophy that we kept through the whole project.
11: On that note, has any particular song been... During like the writing process, just felt like it, it really clicked, felt that energy...
10: All of the songs come from a place of a joyful heart. Um, I know that when we were working on the Children of the Stars record, we wrote that album pretty much in the studio. Like we would all go into the studio every day and basically write. And so songs like, um, uh, Star Child really resonate with me because it was written right in the studio and we were, we were writing right to our, our fans, our, our star children. And that one has a little bit of magic in it. And I love that one.
11: It's the latest album uh, from back in 2014, right?
10: Mm -hmm, That's correct.
11: But I feel like its message really resonates with a lot of what's going on today, especially like, you know, Melt the Guns and Mm -hmm. everything. It's crazy that you guys had this positivity back in the day, and I feel like it's a little slept on. But now it's kind of coming back because it's uh, such an important message that everyone is feeling right now
10: it's the best feeling in the world to know that there are people out there connecting with your music especially when that music was written from an honest place of love and it's really all we all we care about and all we live for is the connection we make with our fans and the reaction that they've been giving us is just is what has brought us back from you know from outer space and we're back
11: just a to slightly touched on the past of the Orion experience, your first album came out around 2006, but when did the, the experience sort of start in general?
10: Maybe a year before that. Linda and I started the band. Um, she was bartending uh, in the afternoon, and I was sitting at the bar. I had just seen the movie Dig. It's about the Dandy Warhols and the Brian Jonestown Massacre. I just really loved how the Brian Jonestown Massacre like just gave zero fucks about just getting in your face and trying to engage the audience. And so I was sitting at the bar and Linda was bartending and it was really slow. And I was like, man, I just, I want to start this band and I really need like, I need my, like, I need my side side person. I need somebody. And we both just looked at each other. I was like, would you be in the band? And she was like, yes. And then I, I think we started rehearsing the next day and, and the rest is history. So that was, yeah, I guess that was like, 2005 maybe um we recorded cosmic candy was first an ep and then it became a full length like a year later and that's that was the first release that we that we had
11: yeah it's it's been my favorite album just to stream all the time i'm narcoleptic but (laughs) this has been able to wake me up every morning more than any medication has (laughs) that's excellent (laughs) it's true like this morning i was really dreading waking up and i just couldn't and so you know i just put on the queen of white lies and let it sail from there i'm like hey i'm awake and i'm ready to do everything
10: nice yeah that queen of white lies synthesizer comes in you're like oh yeah here it comes
11: what I find so impressive, though, is um, so your first album has this like high energy, and I've seen a lot of bands start that way, and then they kind of taper <laughs> down and get moodier. But the the children of the stars, I was I was seeing when I first found you guys, I was seeing that that had some more like hits, like singles that were like on the top of the charts, and I was like. Well, I wonder w- w- what's different, you know, because it's a couple years apart from the very first album, because you had, I think, two or three albums in between. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so I was like, well, w- what's the change? And I was like, oh, this is even more energetic. Like you have the trumpet in there. It just somehow got bouncier.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How could
10: it have been bouncier? You know, it's funny now. Listening back to Cosmic Candy, there's definitely like a punk edge to it that I really like, and I think um, we're going to start incorporating that into some of the new music that we're writing. It's got a little bit of a like, like as tough as the Orion Experience can be. Uh, I think you <laughs> hear it in Cosmic Candy.
11: It's like the edge of glitter. You know, glitter yeah. can be sharp sometimes. That's yes, what can. uh, Cosmic Candy had, and like then in uh, <laughs> Children of the Stars, you lost a little bit of the edge, but gained more happy bounce which like isn't a loss it's just playing around with something different
10: children of the stars was written as a concept record because we performed that as an interactive musical that was performed in new york city in 2013 so that so it has elements of like a of a concept record to it and so that all fit into the vision that we were seeing for that show
11: yeah it it's a wonderful experience of an album and i'm glad to hear that you're going to lean more back to cosmic candy but i still love children yeah, of the stars i do too so i think it's time we talk about the the black sheep of yeah. your discography <laughs> um it, if anyone was to listen to everything they would notice the heartbreaker ep is a little a little bit edgier in its tone it's a it's a little bit sad <laughs> in some ways <laughs> while still being poppy though
10: I had my heart broken and that was the music that came out of that experience.
11: Okay, so so is it all just about like this like one experience because there's four tracks on it and three of them are really seem targeted about one situation. Is it all the same?
10: It's a it's an amalgamation of I'd say two people. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's it's all coming from the same place. It was, you know, it was about rejection and um and my and my inability to to process that. You know, I gotta say that like I'm proud of all of the music that I've written and because it came from a place of, of true feeling when I was writing it. But now sometimes when I listen back to Heartbreaker, I'm like, hmm, those that was kind of mean. But you know, that's an artist has to write the way an artist has to write. They have to write how they feel.
11: What I like about it though is that Coming from a place of current times where you have these four albums out, I can go to it and I can see that it's it's true. You're you're not making music just to be poppy and fun. You're you're writing what's Mm. in your heart. You're if if it's kind of in a dark place, you're releasing music of that nature. You know, there's no way you can always be happy and bouncy all, all the time. And like even this immense inspirational music of joy, it shows sometimes we go through those heartbreaks and it gets a little bit low. But there's way more times to be happy. And your whole discography shows that.
10: For sure. And I actually, you know, some of my I I love Sugar. I love that song. And I love Heartbreaker. And I I'm not like I love um nice guys finished last although that one's the meanest of them all and then yeah. um and it's a little it's a little like it's a little jerky and i apologize for that kids
11: i think especially since like 2016 that whole like nice guy meme kind of started too so 100
10: dated oh yeah yes it does um and then uh, I like the song "You're So Cool" too, and that's that was a little dig at a um a, at a performer that we shared the stage with at a a very important show for us, and they were they were divas, and I was like, you know what, you're getting a song written about you.
11: Yeah, well, I wanted to touch on that sp- song in particular because I feel like there is a new message you have with some of your new growth that is touched on "You're So Cool" because in "You're So Cool," it kind of talks about how being on tour kind of seems like a drag
10: at the time I would have, we would have given our right arm to have gone on tour. And it was the perspective that that artist who had a successful touring career just seemed to be like they, their point of view was like, this is a drag to play the Bowery ballroom in front of a packed house. And I was angry at that. And that like, and I was like, I would give anything to be in your position and and you're treating it like this. So that's where that came from.
11: Well, I'm almost glad you uh, didn't get that because you've told me now a little bit about the current philosophy of the Orion experience, about what it means to grow and where you want to be. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
10: Yeah, sure. So I guess after we finished the Children of the Stars theatrical experience, we felt like we had taken the Orion experience as far as we could with the limitations that we had at that time, and we just felt like if that show didn't take us to the next step, we kind of all agreed that we were going to take a step back and, and maybe, like, just reevaluate, you know, our artistic direction. So that happened in 2013, and we all kind of went off and, and started writing and kind of just pursuing... Um, Linda's an actor, so Linda was doing some acting stuff, and she's an amazing actor. And I guarantee that, like, no matter how famous the Orion Experience gets, Linda's gonna be like, "You're gonna be like, holy shit, I know that person because she's a f- fantastic actor." Anyway, so um, a couple of years passed by, and then just recently, we just started getting all the flashing buttons of engagement. And we did a little bit of research, kind of went down a YouTube comment rabbit hole, and sort of figured out that somebody had found the song The Cult of Dionysus and started putting it on TikTok. And all of these kids started TikToking it back. So all of a the sudden there was this new audience of of kids that that discovered the Orion experience. And now we've been able to connect with them. And it's just it's the words can't describe the feeling of love that we have for the fans that have engaged with us. We love you star children so much.
11: Or for those listeners out there that aren't as like hip and young as you and I, uh, <laughs> what is TikTok?
10: TikTok is a Chinese owned music app that people lip sync to music and then they share that sort of lip synced video with the world and then other people Take the sound that that person used, which is the song, and then they make videos to that as well. It takes a second to understand TikTok. You kind of just have to dive into it. It's hard to describe in words. It's a rainbow flavored anxiety attack, I think, is what I would describe TikTok.
11: That's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, some people compare it to Vine, but it's much more networking based and like community centric. You know, it involves a lot of repeating.
10: And yet has like the most confusing like interface to it. Like there's no way to, I don't know. Um, but anyway, so once we understood that there was an audience that was discovering the Orion experience again, we started to, um, you know, we just said, well, listen, let's just put our toe in the water and see if there's any, any interest in, in people hearing from us again. And. I'm I'm seriously gonna cry. <laughs> and the response that we got was so insane and so beautiful and so pure that we just, there was no way that we could ignore it. So... Sorry, you're going to have to
11: edit this part. (laughs) No, Um, no. Like, I'm kind of in tears myself just hearing about this because it's so amazing that, like, from 2014 was your last album. And the first album, 2006, is like has the single that's just doing this amazing work here in like 2020, a different like century.
10: Yeah. Yeah. So it really was just this (laughs) miracle that was brought on. And it was, and it's really truly like the love of our fans that uh, is the reason that you're hearing me, that we're talking today. So we um, are now working on new music that will come out in 2020. And we're really excited about that. And we'll be doing um, secret shows that are only going to be accessible by our cult members. And so we're really excited about that, too. And we'll be announcing this stuff later in the year. But for now, we're just engaging with our uh, with our fans and building our cult and doing all the things that normal people do.
11: Well yeah, I wouldn't quite say normal because <laughs> you're uh you're limiting your shows to fan cult members, so you know you're you're cutting off a lot of potential of ticket sales uh so why like why is it what you're doing important to you
10: because we don't really care about anyone else except for our fans. The fans lead us to where where we're going now they're telling us where to go and they're helping us rediscover ourselves so we at this point in time you know never say never but all we really want to do is connect with our fans and so we really feel like our shows are are an experience if you will and we you know uh, when people join our cult, they take a vow to always be glamorous. So you have to come to an Orion Experience show as your fiercest star child. Like you cannot come. You took an oath. So the shows are are something very special, and they're only for our fans at this point.
11: Uh, you said you have to to swear you're being glamorous, and you talk about this oath, and yeah, you're one of my favorite bands, so can I be in the, the cult?
10: You absolutely can be. Um, You just have to take the oath first. I'm so ready. Milk, do you promise to always be devious? Oh, I do. (laughs) Do you swear to always be glamorous?
11: The most.
10: Will you always get mischievous?
11: Always, every day.
10: Forever polyamorous? Yes. Then with the spirit of wine and women and wonderful vices, welcome to the cult of Dionysus.
11: (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> You're I've got in chills. Yeah. It it's so awesome that you've been engaging with your fans this way just like taking these messages and inoculating them into to everything. I it's just I <sighs>
10: We just have a connection with our fans that I don't know that any other group has. They really truly are part of our, they're part of our experience. They're part of our show. We want them to take it from us. Like we'll provide the music, but like, let's take this on a crazy journey and let's see what where we go. The whole cult, thing came from people being like, I want to join your cult. And so it was like, okay, well, let's start a cult. And I think that the word cult can scare people because of what cults have been in the past. But the cult of Dionysus is a cult of love. It's a cult of friendship. And it's a cult of artists.
11: This hive-like joy experience.
10: Yes. And so you know nobody's gonna make you drink any Kool Aid. We're all just gonna party. So, and we're gonna party in the best kind of way. You don't need drugs. You don't need booze. You just need love.
11: I, I love it. Every, all your fans are children of the stars, and the stars make up this constellation that is the Orion experience.
10: You're starting to get it.
11: So, what makes up the Orion experience?
10: The Orion experience is the is the joining of of orion linda and our guitar player reef we're we're the triangle if you will of that band so when we come together the powers align and the orion experience is born but we all do um we all write separately and we write for other artists and we won't we only want to start bringing uh, awareness to the other kind of musical styles that we have too so we we feel like more of a collective or a cult is what we want to get our fans to understand
11: what exactly is the future for the orion experience
10: Again, we're going to let the fans kind of lead us. Um, We're going to let the star children lead. The idea is that we're going to release uh, some new music in 2020. And then to celebrate that new music, we'll be announcing secret shows for our cult members. They'll be in a couple of select cities in 2020. And we'll let you know about them. And then if you're in the cult of Dionysus, you'll be able to buy tickets for
11: it. Since joining the cult is such a, a personal experience and an engaging one, I don't want to just tell everyone listening to go join it, but I would like everyone to find out if they want to. So where, where can everyone find your stuff and see just how magical this is?
10: You can do a, a search for the Orion Experience and you'll find us on the regular social media platforms. But if you really want to join the cult, you go to theorionexperience.com. Hi everyone, it's Orion from The Orion Experience and the next song you'll be hearing is called The Cult of Dionysus.
12: Yesterday I heard you say your last the life has gone away. It got me thinking. I think I feel a similar way. DBS.
13: You're looking glamorous
12: Let's get mischievous And polyamorous Wine and women and Wonderful vices Welcome to the cold town tears away You're young and beautiful And a lover you always you got no time for pain When it's just
5: Radio Flop About somebody dropping some sort of nerve gas around I-80 in Sacramento. I've heard bigger conspiracies in my sleep. And now you wanna tell me that somebody named Jack Bauer is running around trying to stop these things? I thought this wasn't television, folks, and I've seen things that'll blow your mind. I used to be a professional wrestler, a Navy SEAL, and now I think it's time that you get the whole story. So what do you want to tell me from all this conspiracies about nerve gas? That there's some sort of lizard people and aliens involved with it too? I don't see Halliburton over here pulling the strings on this one, folks. I think you should really start looking out for this thing called Radio Flam and you should start listening in regularly.
13: Radio Flam presence Musiker Singer New obscure Deutsch Bob From Andy Donau.
6: Thank you.
14: Years ago, the Univis Collective was founded in February 1920 in Vitebsk, and its legacy is well worth celebrating today. Univis is an acronym in Russian that can be translated as either Champions of the New Art or Affirmers of the New Art, which included Kazimir Malevich, Olazitsky, Nina Kogan, Vera Yemelyeva, David jakerson Ilya Chashnik, Lazar Kidekul. Nikolai Suertin and many more. It's much more than simply the Bauhaus of the East, as it's been called, because Univis were a collective of politically committed art teachers and students from the Vitebsk, people's art school. Vitebs was a small town after the Russian Revolution which is now in Belarus today. For two short years up until 1922 they took art out of the art school onto the streets of Vitebs and into everyday life. They were inspired by the limitless possibilities for humanity which seemed to open up following the Russian Revolution of 1917. An important part of the output of Univis or Univis was their experiments in art, design and architecture. These experiments focus on a world, a future world of possibilities where human need was paramount and had triumphed over a world based on profit and a cycle of wars. But the reality for them was real daily hardship. Everyday life in Vitebsk at the time was, was very difficult. They were going through a, a, a bitter civil war because the revolution, the Russian revolution was under attack from foreign invasion and remnants loyal to the old regime. But what they did was absolutely incredible. 20 years later, Sergei Eisenstein then a Red Army engineer, and 20, and 20 years later, a renowned Soviet film director who uh, directed Battleship Potemkin, Strike, and many others, recalled the impact of his arrival in the town of Vitops back in June 1920. This is what he said, a strange provincial town, like many others in the West, built of red brick, sooty and drab. But this town was particularly strange. Here the red bricks are covered with white paint and green circles are scattered across the white background. There are orange squares, blue rectangles. This is Vitov's in 1920. Its brick walls have met the brush of Kazimir Malevich and from the walls you can hear the streets are our palette. Of course, this was much more than Kazimir Malevich. This was the Univis Collective. Following the revolution, the Russian revolution of 1917, taking art out of art schools and onto streets was common and led to many street festivals. The old architecture symbolising the old Tsarist power remained. Artists were supported in seeking ways of neutralising the symbols of the old power by clothing them in new colourful forms. And universe had its own abstract visual language of suprematism. Imagine major changes happening in America. What would you do with a Trump Tower? You probably want them sort of uh, blow it up maybe not you'd probably want to clothe it into something and, and make use of it maybe has the homeless or or something like that so suprematism one of the artisms of um, uh, and the first artism of abstract art uh, began its life in a gallery in Petrograd, which is now called st petersburg in russia it was the first conscious fully abstract arts style in the world invented by Malevich in 1915 and it included his famous 20th century art icon the black square as its starting point the black Pearl square was a starting point because it provided possibilities for art and much wider than just visual art and it had a wider application into everyday life and univis made use of it
13: Paintings, Projections, Performance, Runway, Lynn Fifi, Solo Exhibition opens this Friday, March 6th. The distance between black and white, at Dwell Point in Sacramento, California. For more information visit flom.us slash blackwhite. Show runs through March 28th. Twenty
1: twenty. You are listening to Radio Flop.
9: Every day that you are living, there is a threat that nuclear weapons can end. All of this is done, there's nothing we can do about it.
13: From Russia. This is Lemon with Wasteland of the Dystopian EP, now streaming on Spotify.
12: in taste and color you can hear
1: but now the winter was passing and the stickers were brought forth abundantly on the bumpers and the voice of the candidate was heard in the land then the democrats gathered together their armies to battle at new hampshire and the regulars stood on a mountain of the right side and the dissenters stood on the mountain of the left side and between was the valley of the generation gap
3: I'm telling you, this man here sounds like he wants to control every aspect of your life. He's already made it known how he feels about the middle class, lower class, farmers, industrial workers, babies, the poor and seniors. And he wants people to vote for him. And they will. Back in the pit you. Do what you are supposed to. Go breastfeed Jesus. Why do the exceptionally old white men always have to make you do whatever they want and not be a woman? And why doesn't his crookedness concern you?
13: This is Radio Flump. Uh,
0: I have no clue of what else to say about this. I am not a radio personality, so I'm giving you back to somebody else.
5: (laughs) But such a device would be far beyond any technology on Earth. Do you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. My watch makes too much noise, and because of it, I can't sleep.
1: Dateline, New York City. Our very own Flomist. Laurie Rose and Wall, will have work in, the Spring Break Art Show. Bright Colors, Big City, Mistakes on Purpose. March 3rd through 9th. More info at SpringBreakArtFair.com Dateline, Pasadena. Flomist Julia Allegretti. AKA the Sleepy Hippie. Solar Show open through March 6th at the Art Center Spotlight Gallery, Art Center South Campus. Follow Julia as the Sleepy Hippie on Instagram. Dateline, Dare Tongue. The Flom Literary Blog posts mostly daily, and in the past week we've had articles featuring a look at Toshio Magari's first book, Arcade Game Typography, out via Thames and Hudson. Natalie Michelle attempts to explain what vegans eat to the normal people. Roan takes another look at the constant petty and new writer Caitlin Jane, fan of the used, writes about how difficult it is to be doing your best these days. Plus later this week Something new from Bo von Modner and Jason Malmberg. To explore, read, and subscribe free to their tongue. Head to flom.us stroke their tongue. We are all flomists. You can be too. Don't
14: eat
15: the flom. You are listening to Radio
14: Flom. Suprematism had began its life in an art gallery in Petrograd, which is now called St. Petersburg, in 1915. It was the first conscious, fully abstract art style in the world, invented by Kazimir Malevich, and it included his famous 20th-century art icon, the Black Square, as its starting point. Suprematism provided possibilities for art and wider society. It was infinite, and Univis took that and really run with it. Not only did they paint the streets of Viteps, they did a lot more than that. And suprematism was, you know, although it started with a black square, it was based on geometric shapes with added colour. Univis arose in the particular conditions following the Russian Revolution of 1917. Following the revolution, Anatoly Lunacharsky, the Commissar of Enlightenment in the Bolshevik government, had appointed Comrade which is hard to imagine there, Comrade Mark Chagall, a Viteps-born artist as the cultural commissar for the town. And one of these tasks was actually to open up the People's Arts School. So... It was very hard times, as I've mentioned, and building an art school was not a priority in a time of civil war. So they took over the mansion of a local merchant for the school premises. By September 1919, the school was open with 120 students enrolled. The revolutionary government was committed to education for all. It stopped discriminatory quotas set by the Star Estate that limited access to further education for women and minorities, and that was really really important because Viteps was a predominantly jewish tan and actually only having a small quote of jewish students would have stopped jewish students enrolling in the big numbers that they did the free art school had access for all and it attracted the young revolutionary generation into further education which was previously denied them and it was free attracting locals including many Jewish students such as Lazo Kadeko and Ilya Chashnik, which would will create amazing things, as well as um, attracting soldiers serving in the Red Army, defending the revolution, such as Nikolai Suertin. Kazimir Malevich joined the school in Vitebs by 1919 and he was the catalyst for the foundation of Univis. In November 1919, Lazar Lazitsky, the head of architecture, graphics and the printing department of the school, was sent to Moscow to obtain equipment and supplies for the school. Supplies were obviously in short supply during a civil war. Lysitsky returned to Vitebs with Malevich as a new teacher for the school. They previously met back in 1917 when Malevich was the head of the art section for the Moscow Soviet of Soldiers. Malevich had internalised what the revolution meant for him as an artist. This led to him to a conclusion of the need to end easel painting as a profession. So by 1919, he proclaimed that painting was outdated and belonged to the old world, the old regime. For him there, painting could stimulate creativity, but it wasn't the thing in itself creativity from suprematism would ne'er serve a social purpose for the benefit of the new life following the revolution. Malevich accepted the teaching role. Things were tough in Moscow. There was a lot of um, sort of difficulties with food. There was rationing and his wife was pregnant and they were living in a summer house with no heating. And as the Russian winter took hold, Vitebs offered him still hardship, but as a provincial town offered an easy supply of everyday essentials such as food and heating. Following the revolution, Malevich had been active in the fine arts section of the Culture of Enlightenment. He'd already organized solo exhibitions and he was uh, teaching in Moscow already. So he was well known and an established artist. As a successful left artist, as he called himself and as many called themselves at that time, Malevich's impact was instant in Vitov's. His paintings were already in show and an exhibition in the town, and he lectured to packed halls outlining how the new world needed new forms, which his system in art offered. Very quickly, other left teachers at the school, including Lizitsky, Yamileva, Jakerson and Kogan Gaviram Malevich, they began learning about suprematism, and simultaneously they started teaching the new system of art to their students. Lisitsky was uh, the first follower of Malevich. He changed his name from Lazar to L. L. Lisitsky. that's what we now know him as, and he kept that for the rest of his life. He took the new name from a transrational poem that Malevich had written in an introduction to his own book of art writings, The New System in Art. And Lisitsky and the students printed and published a book at the school by 1920. But let's be really clear about it. Lizitski became an equal partner and was central in connecting the new art with the revolution in very concrete ways. Now, if anyone knows anything about El Lisitsky, you'll know about his famous poster, Beat the Whites with a Red Wedge for the Red Army, which he designed in 1920 and printed. The Red Wedge represented the collective power of the Red Army in the battles against the enemy, the White Army, as I said, an alliance of foreign invaders and remnants of the old regime. In a country with high levels of literacy, the simple agitational message of the poster could be quickly understood. The Zitsky's poster was a graphic design innovation, integrating... A few words and geometric forms with black and white print added to low-quality off-white paper, which could be posted all around Russia.
8: What I could do is take one of your older tracks and just play it behind it, and then uh, play it off there, and then let's let everyone discover Wonderland when you have it out. Yeah,
16: yeah, absolutely. Man, Patrick, what are we gonna call this EP? Shit. I don't know, man. But I do know it's just slap. Hearing a the call they clearing them all. Dare to fly or fear to fall, watching sunsets on southwest. I'm taking off, no fear at all. Civil unrest on fire skates, walk-ups and alleyways, high rise with no escapes, I face myself. Face to face, and ask myself, Do you have what it takes to be great? Take a bite of my cheese, take a look around, watching my eyes. Never looking down, cause it's looking up. Booking shows, bout to book a bus and head south. Living a life with no regrets now. My head bows when I see the blessings that I get now. Started late, but I'm on time. Flow strong like honey wine when the lights hit in my mic on. I step on stage and I'm gon' shine. Cold word, I got a gold mine. Digging my thoughts, what you gon' find? Hotline after hotline after hotline after hotline. Doing the most, I maneuver the coast. This goes out to you and your folks, butter my toast, blackberry jam, man, it's not even close, out on the road, reflecting on seconds Like, oh, wonder what's next for the bro, trust a like correct and blow, show after show, I aspire the kids, dying just trying to live, know what it ain't, know what it is, lies that came from the rear, protecting the fear, no, I won't neglect what they did, forget what they said, I've been meaning to show, whole lot of truth that I need to expose, original man with indigenous flows, sharp on the beat, tits to my soul.
8: Final Paul Willis album, Wonderland, final. Of course, that leads to the question, final?
16: Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, it's it's the last one. You know, I, I think my first release was in uh, 2013. I've been writing rap since I was 12 years old. And, and it's time for me to shift. It's time for me to pivot. Uh, doing a lot of work in education, new development. Uh, my students are growing up, and they're entering into the workspace now, and they're facing a lot of the same issues that, you know, I uh, saw as a young professional kind of entering into the workplace, and people from the older generation, some of the challenges that they were facing, our young folks are coming in, and they're experiencing some of the same challenges. So I'm I'm pivoting kind of out of music so I can uh, focus more on diversity, equity, and inclusion work, uh, which is an extension of you know, the content of of my music and my previous work. Um, But I want to kind of give that its fair shot.
1: Radio Flom talks to Paul Willis about his final album and the realities of education today.
16: Excited about it. It's, um, you know, I I think it's some of my best writing as an artist. I think that uh, people will learn stuff about me that they haven't heard yet uh, in my other projects. Um, and it's because of just the, the details that I deliver through the writing. So, um, you know, I, I performed in San Francisco recently and um, I shared some of some acapella pieces with an audience out there. And um, they kind of mm-hmm. got emotional with some of that stuff. So um, it was just, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting album to kind of close on. The BAP notes are, are incredible. And, um, you know, the, the fundraiser right now, it's, it's primarily for uh, ownership of the music and then getting the first 100 copies, uh, physical copies kind of printed up and done. Working with the BAP notes, they're an incredible uh, hip-hop, jazz, soul, funk group based in South Sacramento. Uh, there are a bunch of like older cats who have been doing music for their entire careers, and they're some of the best musicians I've ever heard and For those folks who kind of like that uh Jay Dilla you know sound the early Kanye West kind of sound in hip hop, they produce that kind of stuff in their sleep you know we we would sit with Rod and kind of listen to beats and he would just play just phenomenal, you know, beat after phenomenal beat. And it was really incredible to kind of hear folks who have this uh, ability to take live music and to then transform it into this like, you know, very kind of traditional hip hop feel. But what's amazing is that, you know, they're, they're not using samples, they're sampling themselves in their jam session so it kind of gives it that feel but it's you know you don't run into the same issues with royalties and clearing samples and the whole nine uh because they play everything uh themselves so for me my independent projects haven't really cost a ton of money and um typically the cost is something that i'm able to like cover but this is a little bit more pricey uh but it's absolutely worth it and a lot of it is the same creative energy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of creating content and the whole development phase um, is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, but then the sales cycle, right, of, of getting the work in front of people, pitching it and um, and then getting them to kind of buy in on it. That's, uh, you know, that's the evolution of where I'd like to take um, my work as, a, as an educator, community organizer, hip hop artist. That's where I'd like to go.
8: Um, and I do relate because that's kind of what I'm doing here. I'm an educator, and I was a graphic designer for several years, and I've pivoted into running an art movement and doing a podcast. I didn't think the podcast would do as well as it's been doing. Kind of hard to do that in Sacramento too, because it's very hard to get press in this town.
16: Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's that's a real thing, and there's a variety of reasons for that. I think, but um, you know, we're we're one of the biggest social media Kind of markets, uh, but also our press hasn't done a a great job of fully representing everyone, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. You know, um, at this point, it's they they've missed a lot of opportunities to spot some people who are doing some really great work. So, the thing that really attracted me to your
8: music is there are so many different influences coming out of your work you have the rap portion and then i'm hearing jazz i'm hearing mm-hmm. stuff i heard when i was a kid growing up in the 70s and it it just kind of flows all together you're you're really expanded beyond what most uh, beginners are doing thank you thank you i appreciate it
16: you know it's a you know i, I hip-hop it comes from this tradition right of of just Black music from the, the Griots in Africa and as they would travel from village to village uh, to, you know, thinking about Negro spirituals and jazz music and then elements of, of rock and roll and uh, bebop and all, of, it's, it's a combination of a lot of these different influences. So um, I know early in the hip hop, you know, era, sampling was a huge thing and you know, DJs would, you know, try and find the break beats in records to then kind of rewind and, and, and do all of that. Um, so for, for me, I kind of come out of that same tradition where, you know, I want something that still is, is soulful and, and is super meaningful. Uh, but we've seen what's happened also with hip hop artists when they couldn't clear samples and when um, they weren't on top of the business uh, portion of it. So for me, it's important to kind of learn uh, from those lessons and to understand that if I'm going to uh, create a, a soulful sound and that's, that's still a hip hop sound, um, sampling can't be the way uh, to move forward, right? So um, I've kind of plugged myself here into the local music scene by tapping in with a lot of the jazz musicians um, and, and the soul musicians, and um, by working with a lot of those folks, I get to kind of learn a lot more about music and arrangements and how you know they how bands work together, um, and then how I can enhance the hip hop sound. Um, and that's one of the ways that I kind of found the Bat Notes. Um, they're a band that does that music um and they they do it at the highest levels you know particularly here in the city so um they're they're amazing and i'm excited to kind of uh elevate the work that i have been doing and to to collaborate with them um so that that's i think uh just a a natural evolution of the music the art form and, and where we're at now i know the younger generation—they're into trap music um, and all of that, you know, more electronic sounds—and um, I, I think that's cool. Um, but that's just not the era that I grew up in. For me, there's nothing like somebody sitting down and playing a piano. And while playing a synth is is really cool, it's just piano chords strike a different emotional tone. You know, whenever I can use live instruments in, in music, I, I try and incorporate as much of that as possible.
8: I run a music blog as part of uh, this vlog thing and it's just, I do jazz posts on Saturday and I, I start at 3 PM with like Delta blues, old recordings. And I work my way mm-hmm. into some of the new stuff going on just before midnight. I've had quite a few students who are into hip hop and I introduced them to jazz. There are these
16: kids who are like, I didn't I did know about jazz. It's like, Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> there's this. It's poster. It's so insane. No, it's, 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 it's really incredible stuff. And it, it, it'll, it'll transform your ear the deeper and deeper that you get into it. And I think that's one of the things that's been kind of lost a little bit with the advent of trap music and electronic music. Um, You know, I think the, the research that had to be done to create those soul samples and then to flip beats and all that you really had to dig in the crates and then you had to sit and listen to records, you know? So your, you know, your crate, your, your, your record collection might be, you know two or three thousand records but in it and i know people with like ten thousand records in their you know uh collection who are djs but in order to go through all of that you have to sit and listen and learn so much you have to read the liner notes. and you know kids today are like what are liner notes what is <laughs> you know you know it's Like we grew up with CDs that we had to open and they came with a little booklet and they might have had lyrics and credits and all of these other things. And now it's just like a photo right Uh, on the Internet and the song then streams and you don't know what went into that process. So I I think that there's some of that education piece that's missing because folks don't have the physical kind of component anymore. Um, and we've moved ahead with just streaming mp3s which is okay but it's i I think that that element that educational element the one that you're talking about and providing is is super important i did a um i did a workshop for a group of high school kids and it was on uh the connection between uh hip-hop and jazz and um i talked to them about the roots and they were like, "Who are the Roots?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh man, you don't, like, like they don't watch late night TV, <laughs> so they missed them on Jimmy Fallon." But that's their only kind of frame of reference. And I'm like, "Man, like that's you know that's pretty wild to me that even artists from the '90s, you know, uh, we have a whole generation of kids who don't know those folks. You know, they'll they'll know your type." 100
8: yeah I was you know, about artists,
16: but this in class because I've been teaching
8: uh, actually 20 years as of this this year at the college level and I see these generations change as you go through them and it was like the millennials now are not as excited into digging these things up as the group before them like 10 years ago I could go into a class and the students would know who everyone was. It was like they would, they would know Gilligan's Island. They would know all these prop <laughs> references that I would just reference. They would know what Seinfeld is. Today, I bring up a Seinfeld joke. They all look at me as if I've lost my mind. And yeah. and all this stuff is readily available. It's easy to just mm-hmm. dig in. And uh, I'm big on, okay, you're not into that good. I'm assigning it to you.
16: I I think another one of the things that because now everybody's a content creator, Right. It's like there's so many more channels and streams of information where people collect, you know, their their entertainment uh, from. So, you know, there are kids who only watch stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Who don't know what like what shows exist on basic cable. Yeah. You know, um, and that's that's wild to me because, you know, pre Internet, <laughs> you know, everybody had this shared experience. Right. Yeah. Of like. Saturday morning cartoons or uh, reading the comics in the newspaper or, you know what I mean? Like there were certain things that were, that everybody kind of knew or at least everybody in the same like kind of neighborhood had a very similar experience about. So uh, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I see how the times are changing and I recognize how, my experience was so different Mm -hmm. than a lot of the young kids who are kind of coming up now that as I'm beginning to transition out and I'm becoming more nostalgic about where I started with this, I I think a lot more of my writing has been this like personal narrative and storytelling that is, you know, from my adolescence, you know, Um, and it's telling stories from, me being a kid and what it was like in middle school and high school and how that shaped me into the person I am today and um, man, it's 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 insane to think about the gap
8: mm-hmm.
16: you know that currently exists. But um, I want to try and find some ways to to bridge that. How did you get into education? You know, my, my grandmother was a minister in the church patient was super, like super important to her, was uh, an immigrant from Jamaica. Uh, she studied nursing at Oxford in England
15: uh-huh. uh,
16: before coming to Boston, Massachusetts, where I'm from. And she uh, was working in the children's hospital and she raised me from when I was like three days old. And you know, she always stressed that, you know, education is super important. And I realized that that's like a big, like Jamaican value, like across the island. A lot Mm -hmm. of folks kind of stress that, um, whether that's an education in schools or being self-taught, like that's, that's always something that, uh, once you have that knowledge, um, it's something that nobody can take away from you, you know, and that knowledge is, is power. So, kind of always been a big reader and and creative writer since when I was really young. And um, as I got older, I I think I started to recognize a little bit more a lot of the systemic issues um, because a lot of the the privileges that I had when I was a kid then changed my trajectory and helped me to kind of significantly shift my life in a positive direction. Whereas some of my friends, their lives took a, you know a completely other turn, and either lost their lives, ended up in jail, or um, still involved in like gang activity and stuff like that back home. And um, you know that was never the life that I wanted for me. I was never a tough guy. I was always uh, you know a nerd <laughs> and kid who hated to get picked on. You know what I mean? So uh, oh, I know. So, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so that that for me was, you know, how do I create opportunities for, for students to then see themselves in a positive light in education, in their community, to know that uh, they can really be whatever they want to be, mm-hmm. um, whatever they put their mind to. But they also need to get this realistic kind of view of the world because you're only getting certain kinds of information through traditional education. Traditional education is a total mess. Yeah. So how do i do both how do i help you kind of navigate that system and be successful by playing the game but also how do i help you understand that there's a whole other set of knowledge out here and whether or not you're successful like in the classroom you can still be successful in all of these other ways yeah. and um you know i think some of my students are teachers now right and you know have have grown into just these really deeply kind of caring adults and they care about not just like themselves and their family or their financial well-being but they really do care about their community and a number of different social issues but when they're showing up into workplaces that aren't designed you know to necessarily care about those same social issues or right. they don't have the same experience in talking about issues around diversity or equity then our students my or my students are now those people who are like well I don't know how to tell my boss who's had their position for 15, 20 years, that the way that they're looking at this particular issue is is incorrect or that there are alternative views to consider, right? So that that kind of gap that I, re- I recognized early on, it was kind of the impetus for me kind of jumping in by inspiring kids to kind of be you know, who, who, who they really are and, and be the best version of themselves every day and to improve on that. Um, we're kind of recognizing now that, you know, our our kids and our young folks, they're showing up, they're showing up as they are, but have, I don't know if we've necessarily created this container for them to then be successful, right? I think that's really kind of how I got into education and how I've evolved through it a little bit and how my mindset has evolved through it. Um, it's just this idea of, you know, it, it kind of starts with knowledge of self, where you're from, and what you value and what your gifts and talents are. And then, you know, you, you bring that to the table you kind of lean into your strengths and then as you grow older and you're able to look at your community and how you can affect and positively impact your community, that's, that's really important thing to do. Um, but we still have, we still have some ways to go.
8: Well, we have a blog post for every episode here. The current one is going to be flom.us slash radio hives. And from there, I'll have a link to the uh, Wonderland fundraiser and your website and anything else I could put up there.
16: Yeah, um, I don't I don't have a website yet, but I think the best way is to start with my Instagram and then everything will kind of branch out from there. So that's uh, at Paul Willis is hip hop. So just my name and then is hip hop, Um, because that's where a lot of these conversations uh, kind of start with people. and then. Paul Willis's hip hop. Is like everything else across the board. It's my it's my Gmail, uh, my Cash App, Venmo. It's um, uh, my Facebook page. You know that that's kind of the the thing everywhere else. Uh, and then with streaming on Spotify, iTunes, and all of that stuff, it's just my it's just my name, Paul Willis. So there's no middleman. There's no major label or anything like that. Like. <laughs> people email me or dm me they will get me directly so uh that's the best way I'm truly yours truest beauty i recall i proved to be unruly but for my sherry amor I do applaud, I do these talks, I earn awards, and it's you, I do them for, your graceful elegance, better now than I've ever been, you recognize the strengths of my deficits, beauty in our struggle for love is quite indefinite, I admire how your heart matches your intelligence, I've never been so much in love, I got comfortable, when we... Change the world together or oh, I'm just with you. I trust that our issues could not be resolved soon. Cause we work our problems out in the bedroom. We crack jokes. Vibing to the soul of black folk by our friends. So development, a new cycle of hope. When it goes down, I know we gon' work it out. I find a workaround for when love comes around.
12: I'm always here.
16: Days people loving with broken hearts The only thing strong enough to build two worlds apart Don't regret a thing especially when I gave my all Better to love and to lose than not at all I'm just grateful for a chance to matter dog Even when she pierces my heart like a matador I love myself a lot, that's how I met her And the way she loves me is just a little bit better I'm having we together, her mind is at the center She wants to be forever, friends ask me will I let her So, enough is enough, let's get right to it Only a few things in my life that I love more than music She the one, and honestly, that's it She the one I spend the rest of my life with I know she accept me, love God, and respect me And I'll give her all the things that I'm getting
15: I'm always here
8: dress or anything you want to say just say you're listening to radio form i'm listening to radio flom. flom i'm right now listening to radio Flam and enjoying it
5: immensely keep listening <laughs> what do you mean i don't sound like jack bauer
1: be here in the office at 8 30 tonight <laughs> Radio Flaw. We
5: are all Flawless.
14: You can be too. Even before Univis was founded in February 1920, suprematism had become a part of the everyday life of the town. In 1919, it received an important commission to decorate the second anniversary celebrations of the Vito's Committee to Combat Unemployment. It had to be completed really, really quickly. Uh, Malevich and Lysitsky did the designs and very quickly all the students got involved in it. They produced huge decorations, signs and posters with objectless suprematist compositions for the town. The success of the celebra- of the decorations was followed by further commissions in the town all the way up to 1922. I want to talk a little bit about the early years of revolution because democracy was at and levels. Students actually selected their teachers and many soon chose to be taught by Malevich and the teachers that allied with him. And an initial attraction for the young students was that new system in art was taught in a progressive way, with teachers providing their their students with a grounding in cubism, futurism and suprematism. Then Malevich and the other teachers encouraged individuals to find their own way with this structuring art for design for architecture and what was really fascinating about the art of supremacism based on geometric shapes and color was the possibilities were infinite were endless so students and teachers quickly came up with their own innovations they created their own ways underpinned with these principles but actually it was liberating for all of them so very quickly, in January 1920, the young students decided that they wanted to follow this new system and set up their own little group, which was called Mo Povnovis, Young Followers of the New Art. Quickly, the teachers joined them and they, stayed, they became the Followers of the New which be, Art, which became Povnovis and then quickly it became Univis by February. So things were moving really, really quickly. So Malevich had started there in November, and by February, most of the school had gone over to this new system in art uh, of suprematism. Uh, one of the principles of the time was the need to work collectively. So the members of the school didn't sign their work as individual artists, but they used the collective name of Univis, univis Chagall, who had set up the school, lost many of his students, and he took this really, really badly. You know, he was a left artist himself, but he didn't really have a system that he could teach teach people is very, very individualistic and very, very internal. So by June 1920, Chagall would leave the town, his native town of Viteps, and never return. He took it really, really bad. He never forgave Malevich. He saw it as a conspiracy, but actually the teachers and the students saw... Malevich create uh, any, any supremacism as something that they could use. Very quickly that year, they created a, a theatre sh- showing in February of Victory Over the Sun. It was a futurist op- opera. And the sets were designed by Vera Yemelyeva, And there was even one by Malevich. But most of it was done by Vera. Additionally, at the same time, for the tan, you know, they actually had an innovative suprematist ballet, which was designed uh, by... Nina Kogan, which involved an unfolding of geometric forms culminating in the supremacy of the black square. So that was an interesting thing there, which they did in terms of ballet. David Jackson, another teacher, sculptor, and Univis member, actually had two monuments erected in the town of Wittops by May that year, one for Karl Marx and the other for a murdered German communist leader, Karl Liebknecht, who was murdered in Berlin in 1990. Both combined the volumetric forms of suprematism, and they were topped by representational images of Liebknecht and Karl Due to the shortage of plaster, that didn't put him off, so he just innovated. So he used concrete moulds for both monuments. Lizitsky was also um, thinking about how he could use architecture, and as the head of the architecture school, took up Malevich's challenge to start the process of exploring Suprematism in the architectural space.
1: Nice whistle. Um, (laughs) I can swallow the referee.
15: You're listening to Radio Flam. For us,
1: the modern people of the world, I am a radical modern. I will do radical things with a modern message.
0: Anyway, so there are these Australian bees, and every summer you might find some of these bees dancing a little too hard, flying a little too wavy, that's because they're drunk. They're super, super drunk. See, the, the honey in the hive, it ferments like sauerkraut or beer or a wine. I don't know how you play Stardew, but I'm definitely a beer maker in Stardew. But these bees get super crunk. And then sometimes they just straight up die from alcohol poisoning. And their friends will, like, watch them do this. They'll be like, ah, yes, you cannot come back inside and sleep it off. No, you must go outside. And, and they just send their buddy out in the cold. And that's how most bee fraternity hazings end, is in horrific alcohol poisoning and death. And there are bouncers outside of the hives that when the bees fly back and they're drunk, the bouncer would be like, not tonight, bud, not tonight. And then where are they gonna go? So they go die outside. You know, like all the cool kids do.
3: there is the bee problem, which we can fix by more small-scale artisan farming, etc. and taking half the bee honey, selling it in what were the abandoned supermarkets that are now auto-part shops and stationary exercise emporiums, next to the castles we build. Charles Atlas knew a few things, self-improvement comes from books, not a space that used to sell instant foods in boxes with pictures of what we should expect on them. I thought of that 10 years ago but no everything is changing. Everything is always changing for the better. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law indeed or more specifically, be as corrupt or as decent as you want to be. This still doesn't amount to much above beauty, and beauty doesn't amount to much under the civil hysteria. It's all in your own hands. If I can call you rats in a maze. What? The bees are fed up. They don't want us having their honey anymore.
10: Greetings, Star Children. You're listening to Radio Flom. Open up your mind. Look through the horizon of the cosmic dawn. Our minds will meld as we join the hive.
15: This will grow either two ways.
7: That was Hives by Coyote Creates. For more recent music releases, fashion, and activism, head to youtube.com/CoYoteCreates.
4: Flummus! Yes, very good, Flummus! See, I think, I think the US is better.
14: Although it is impossible to build new buildings at the time, Lizitsky described these work as way stations between painting and architecture. Here he introduced volumetric representation, which he combined with suprematism, and he would later refer to them as prowns. Projects for affirmation of the new. Lizitsky's plans would become influential. They'd be published inside the Soviet Union and abroad. In October 1920, Lysitsky left the school and moved to Moscow. Following his departure, Lazar Kidekul, a 17-year-old native of Viterps, now led the architectural workshop. In a Univis or Univis questionnaire, Kedekul wrote, I'm studying suprematism as a new system for constructing global architecture. These guys just fought big. Um, They're in the middle of a civil war, but they're thinking about transforming the world. This is one of the many examples of how the Univis collective connected their contribution with the revolution and it spread into abroad despite the, the tough world in which they live. Univis went beyond Vittups as well. In June 1920, a delegation of Univis Teachers and stu- students attended the first all-Russian conference on teachers and students of art. The Univis Collective came to the fore with their clear system of art, organisation, achievements, and their powerful, passionate in speeches. They also distributed handbills, a copy of a Univis almanac, highlighting how suprematism could be used for everyday life and also a booklet by Malevich. Unavis branches sprung up across Russia, up the, not too far away in Smolensk, but also a long way away across Russia in Orenburg, Perm, Ekaterinburg, Saratov and Samara. Unavis also had free collective exhibitions in Moscow, including representing works of the branches outside Vitebs as well. Things changed very, very quickly in the revolution. The civil war ended. So did Univis and also constructivism arose. So Univis did what it could do to brighten up Vitops, together with its bold vision of the future. It's inspiring then, it's inspiring there. As I said, the civil war ended. The revolution was exhausted, the the economy was hardly functioning, there was hunger and there there was disease. There was even uprisings against the revolution. Inside the revolution, including in Kronstadt, not far from from St. Petersburg, meant that the revolution had government had to take dramatic action. It crushed the uprising at Kronstadt, increased food rations, and out of necessity, introduced the NEP, the New Economic Policy, which reintroduced the mixed economy into the revolution. The revolution was changing, um, many of the factories had been closed during the civil war so following the adoption of the NEP the new economic policy state support for cultural initiatives was cut back this reduced resources for the art school in Vitebsk. by June 1922 Malevich had moved to Petrograd and many members of unavis Collectives followed him where they continued to contribute to the cultural revolution including creating new forms in porcelain which were amazing and marvellous there was further other architectural experiments at ginhook in st petersburg or Petrograd as it was then called which was the state institute of architectural culture and from that they've created some amazing things so lazar Kadek, who is now a an architect uh, created a couple of buildings which were amazing which match anything that the bear house did and he created them in 1925 sort of But as I mentioned, two years in revolutionary time is more than two years in normal time. In 1920, as I mentioned, constructivism had arisen, famously around Foktimus, which is the Higher Art and Technical College in Moscow. Majority of the students there become constructivists by 1921, and they they started focusing on bringing their art into factory production, into everyday life. Um, they aligned with the shift in the policy of the revolutionary government, and at that time, they wanted to industrialize the country at a human pace in the mixed economy. Many designs from Foktimus were constructed using geometric shapes following on from suprematism and there was great examples of successful textile designs from artists such as Lubov Popova and Vavara Stepanova which went into production at the First State Technical Factory 1923 and 1924. These designs built on the experimental legacy of Univis, as does the other work of artists, designers and architects contributing to everyday life in the Soviet Union of the early 1920s. Now, of course, we know uh, people didn't live happily ever after. Univis disappeared uh, and it reappeared later. Uh, The first thing that we can say was that Lenin died in 1924. And the struggle to continue with expanding revolution abroad was finally defeated by Stalin in 1927. We know they were terrible times now. Stalin and his regime would crack down on all aspects of revolution to cement his nationalist state capitalist regime, a dictatorship under him. Culture and art would not be outside the reach of these bureaucratic state controls. By 1934, the state policy of socialist realism was imposed, with only one stole based on realism of the earlier um, artistic traditions before the revolution. The counter-revolutionist Stalin abruptly ended the golden age of culture and innovation following the Russian Revolution of 1905 and the later successful Revolution of 1917. Art and design from Univis and many other left-inspiring left artists, the revolutionary period was banished from public display in the Soviet Union by 1936. It was hidden in museum vaults and only started to re- resurface again in the public life of the Soviet Union from the 1960s. But... Despite the tragedy of that, what we've got to remember is the political committed art, design and culture of the Univis Collective was one of the many flowerings of the generation that that followed the revolution of 1917. We've got to celebrate it. We can't forget it. It's inspiring. The Univis Collective brought art into the streets and into everyday life. It arose out of a revolutionary government, opening up education to all and against discrimination. The Univis Collective at the time led the way. It was the first school to have a clear modernist style before the more famous Bauhaus. Additionally, Univis arose out the revolution. It was politically committed artists, uh, began experiments for a different kind of world where People and human activity mattered more than profit, a world without discrimination and war. That battle was lost, though when we look back and we look at Univis, Univis remains an inspiration for radical artists and anyone that shares a vision, a better world is possible. So that's where we leave Univis. Univis is an inspiration, that we can look back today. It's worth looking into. I hope this little podcast today, this little segment in the podcast on Flom, gets you to look at Univis, lizitsky Malevich. It's worth looking at. It's inspiring today. You're off and running
6: with bright and shining.
2: shining, with bright and shining. shining. We're
7: Hello, we're here with Radio Flom, and this is your girl's Scribe Not Scribble presentation today. How do we spell Scribe Not Scribble? That's SCR1B3, not scribble, always like random spelling and not like numbers or whatever and i am saying this because i am not getting paid to do a current presentation so y'all can cover me with clout and recognition instead and today i've been told that i can just do a random presentation i don't have to cover anything so i'm going to tell y'all a happy clam story what is a happy clam story y'all may ask it is a tradition i used to annoy my brother my childhood brother over 10 to 15 years ago because i was a random kid who was weird from the start Okay, so I'm going to tell you how to tell these, right? Because first of all, you start off going, once upon a time, there was a happy clam. And that's a secret, you see, because for max maximum amount of annoying and maximum amount of like randomness and whatever, you have to draw out the syllables, right? You have to raise your voice. You have to draw out the last syllable. So everyone in the immediate vicinity, goes, oh boy, here we go again okay so right and the the most important part of this is you cannot think because if you think too much you can't tell a story and that I feel deep down is mostly everyone's insecurity is why they can't tell stories let alone happy clam stories because when you tell a story you go like uh what am I going to talk about right because the human brain is an incredibly logical organ and it has to to think about something it has to say okay i'm gonna do this and this and it's going to make sense like this but when you tell a happy clam story it has to be completely random so you have to shut off that part in your brain okay right i'll demonstrate i'm just not going to think about anything i'm going to go okay so once upon a time there was a happy clam and this clam he liked to build houses in mayonnaise right so how do you build a house in mayonnaise well the thing is this happy clam lived under the sea and you'd think that mayonnaise being under the sea would be 10 times runny right but no this happy clam was relative was related not by blood but through marriage with a bunch of coral his family had very interesting state of eugenics so right he is related through marriage, right, to coral. And coral, what they do is they build little houses. Like, the coral isn't actually, like, the whole spiky plant thing. It's the creature that lives inside it and, like, uses bits of its bone own body and like bits around it I don't even know to build its houses so they can get this whole great big exoskeleton built up under the sea and they do that even though the sea is like this giant thing of wateriness and fluidness which would surely make any building melt away right but they don't because coral are magic and coral don't let anyone get in the way of anything they want to do so when the happy clam first got married into this whole family of coral, he's like right I'm just going to, like, become friends with these people. I'm going to help them get along and survive somewhat because I want us to all be a big happy family because I'm the happy clam and I like happiness. So we don't want no dramas up in here. So what am I going to do? I'm going to give them a whole bunch of the only thing that I have a lot of access to because the happy clam worked in fast food, you see. And the thing is, under the sea, every sea creature does not like tomato sauce because you'd think tomato sauce would be like the main gourmet sauce sort of thing, right? No, because you don't have tomatoes under the sea. You have mayonnaise because mayonnaise is made from eggs. And if there is one thing the undersea world has, it's a lot of eggs because you don't get a lot of mammals under there. Everything is an egg-laying creature. And like the whole the whole undersea environment, they're like, oh, waste not, want not, right? They don't have the same set of morals as us. So when like... One poor teenage girl hooks up with her boyfriend and she's like, "Oh, we have a baby, or well, we have something that could be a baby because undersea creatures don't reproduce the same as us. Like the the female, she lays the egg, and then like the dude, he's got the option to like fertilize the egg or not. But lo, like, they treat this, they they treat this with a bit of thought. You see, she's like, you know what? I'm not going to become a teenage mom. I'm not going to throw my life away like that. I am going to make a profit. So what she does." She runs off with her egg. She sneaks out of her house if she has to, and she goes to the Happy Clam. It is fast food store. And she's like, yo, bet you want an egg? Like, And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll give you some money for it. And then they've got like a never-ending source of mayonnaise, and they've just paid the teenage girl For her, like, unfertilized egg or anything. And that just makes anybody happier. Because now she's better off. She's not, like, burdened down with this whole thing of her entire life. And then now I've got, like, a never-ending supply of ingredients for their mayonnaise. So the happy clam, as you can probably get, has a lot of mayonnaise. So he's like, right, I'm going to bring some of this to my new coral family-in-laws. And I'm just going to help them. And And they're, like, so grateful. Because not only do they have mayonnaise, endless mayonnaise to put on their sandwiches they now have a very good building ingredient because I don't know what coral build was, but if you're under the sea, I imagine with the whole tides and currents and moving of the ocean, they're just going to have to put so much energy into producing something that stays put and if you leave mayonnaise out to spoil it goes incredibly sticky and hard and sour. So what they do is they use the mayonnaise, they mix it with sand and then they can make their whole houses so much easier and so much quicker because they've just been given like 7 grand, seven grand grams of this mayonnaise from the happy clam. So everyone's happy and they like saving the ocean because it's actually coral that helps keep the ocean eco-environment in general and now area every- Everyone is happy and everyone is good and I've just told you an entire happy clam story because I did not think and I've probably gone over time a bit at this point but that is how you tell a happy clam story and no doubt I will be back at some point to tell you another random story because some people are slow to learn some people don't have the right thought in their heads and get rid of me as soon as they can but here is your story I hope you have a good day bye
4: Radio Flom
1: You miss seeing yourself in action, pal.
5: Bloomberg's an asshole. He would let that shit teeth slap across the wall.
1: Radio Flom is brought to you in part by Carter's Little Liver Pills. That do the work of Kalimoo without the danger of Kalimoo.
0: You know Carter's pills don't really work for hives,
2: right?
1: And neither does Calimoo. Mm. Fixafile.com. Great printing at low prices. Diego Valley at twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM. And SoundCloud.com/Diego Valley Music, Seventh Swami at SeventhSwami.com, and the ultimate hive minds that make it possible to talk to our guests worldwide without the use of a telephone. Well, with the occasional use of a telephone, but not a landline. Squadcast.fm, remote interviews for professional podcasters, talk to people all over the earth, find out what they do, and record them. Squadcast.fm, you need it now more than ever. I am the Radio Flom British Voice and I approve this message. Mm -hmm.
4: California and around the world. This has been Radio Flam, featuring a cast of dozens. Appearing on tonight's episode in order were
7: Milk Surface, Joseph Margulis, Steve Meallo, Grant Alexander Adams, Police Prinegorn, Chad Andrée, Orion Samprini, Orion Experience, Andy Donau, Paul Rouen, Le Mondeosa, Orson Welles. Tristitia Langorum, Barbara, Paul Willis, Hunter Farneback Coyote Creates, et Erin Stewart.
4: Continuity provided by
7: Jason Spear, Audrey Daggett, Avon Léjanic, Vicky Brown, et Kidoke.
4: Radio Flam is produced by
7: Steve Mehalo, et... Milk Surface.
4: Theme music by Chelsea Davis. Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo. Radio Flom is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flom are still protected under international copyright laws. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion, critique, parody, and or artistic transformation, and will contain adult content and nudity. Flom is a faux modern art movement, art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. Flom is your online connection to art history, music, and beyond through Instagram, Twitter, and other social media. We're all Flomists, and you can too. Donations gratefully accepted at patreon.com slash flomus. Or just buy us a coffee at flom.us slash coffee. We are at Flomists on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is Kid OK saying thank you for listening. And if you don't like this podcast, do something about it.
15: Just as archaic as I imagined.
1: Can I have that mic, Coco? Thank you. I know you're not really late to answer, but good luck. We'll see you at the end of the run.
4: Look at it, go?
14: Accelerating even faster than we hoped. We could be breaking a sound barrier and another.
2: just got the call.
5: Somebody just nuked Natomas. Yeah, I don't know if it's north of Thomas or south of Thomas, but it's going to be backed up all the way to Fairfield.
13: I would like you to send someone to Sonoma, Jack. I need to know who made that call.